Lakeside. How are we doing? Good. Happy Thanksgiving. We doing all right? Has the food coma worn off by now? Are we doing better? I'm actually still in a state of mourning for our 49ers. It's kind of a sad Thanksgiving day. And uh, anyways, but great to be here with you. Happy Thanksgiving. I also want to welcome uh, our friends over at the family room. I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Good to see you all. Uh, Thanksgiving is, um, I love Thanksgiving. Actually, I, I don't know, I, I think I may even like it more than um, Christmas. There's just uh, something about it that's just so cool. And, uh, you know, lots of things to be thankful for. Uh, one of the things that I'm really thankful for is Lakeside Church. Isn't this a great place to belong? Isn't it awesome? Love it. It's really, uh, it's really uh, Michelle and I just feel like it's such a blessing to be here and be a part of this community. And uh, one of the other things that I'm super thankful for these days is our Lakeside staff. I think we're just in a great season as a team. And uh, a few weeks ago, we had this um, staff fun day, and maybe you do this at your work. And um, we actually got into teams, different groups, and we went out and did this video photo scavenger hunt. And uh, my group, we, um, we kind of went all around town, and we went over to the Palladio, to Cork World, and uh, we found this shirt that's just perfect for Pastor Brad, and uh, be a great Christmas gift for him. And uh, he wasn't in our group, but we got him in the picture, so it's pretty funny stuff. So great to be with you here this morning. Um, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, we're currently in a series called God 3.0. And um, Brad's been leading us through this series, and we've been talking all about the Holy Spirit. And I'm not sure about your church background. You may have, growing up, you, you didn't go to church. In fact, you, you started coming back and coming to Lakeside later on in life. Uh, for others of us, for, for me, I, for, in particular, I am... Um, I grew up going to a church where we never talked about the Holy Spirit. Like we sort of thought of God as God 2.0, where we would talk about God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, but we just didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. In fact, I remember at a young age, whenever I heard someone, they would say this, they would say, man, you could really feel the Holy Spirit in church today, which I always thought was code for like the music was really good. Like, that was sort of what I thought the Holy Spirit was. Like, I had no idea who the Holy Spirit is. Like, I just didn't know. Like, no one ever told me. And for others of us here, you know, you grew up in a tradition or from a tradition where the Holy Spirit was talked about all the time. And he was front and center. But for me, the first time that I had someone begin to tell me about the Holy Spirit was my sophomore year of high school. I was really plugged in in my youth group. I, um... I loved my youth group. We had a great youth pastor, and we would go on these missions trips and summer camps, and we just had a great time. And my friends were there, and it was huge in my life. It, it really was an important thing that formed me in my faith. And I remember my sophomore year of high school, one of my friend's moms started helping out in the youth group, and um, we loved her. She was a really nice lady. I, I knew that she loved us and my friends. Uh, but she was one of those Christians that just loved Jesus and had this way of making everyone feel uncomfortable about it. I don't know if you've ever met anybody like this. Like, just an amazing lady, but she just had this way about her that was just, ah, it's like uncomfortable. And one of the things that she began to tell us 
is that it was cool that we, you know, came to faith and are now trusting Jesus with our lives, but that we actually needed to do something else. We needed to receive the Holy Spirit into our lives. And she used the phrase, we need to receive the second baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, she told us, and I'm, you know, in my adolescent brain, I'm trying to understand this. She's saying, yeah, when you receive the second baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are then sealed by God. The Holy Spirit comes into your life, and you know he came into your life because you'll start speaking in tongues, and you'll start prophesying. And, and I remember thinking, like, sophomore Doug, I was like, okay, so it, I almost thought it was like, okay, there's JV Christians, and then there's varsity Christians, and the Holy Spirit is like the level up or getting drafted up to the next level. And then she told me, she said, Doug, and if, you, if you're willing or would like to, I will, you know, lay hands on you, and I will pray for you, and I will pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. To which I thought, all right, let's do it. So one night after youth group, she pulls me aside, and I kneel down, and she, she puts her hands on me, and I remember, I'll never forget, she started praying, and she started quiet, and it started to build, and it started to get louder, and I could feel her fingers starting to like press into my head. And then all of a sudden, she starts speaking in this language, like just, it sounded like gibberish to me. I didn't know what she was doing. And my like, this is weird meter was like pinging. I was like, <laughs> what is happening? And then finally she stopped and she stepped back and she looked at me, kind of like, did it take? She was like, did, did it, did something happen? And I remember thinking, like, this is, this is kind of weird. But at the same time, I was hoping something would happen. Like, I was hoping, like, just God would show up. Just something would happen. I mean, maybe I would speak in tongues. Maybe I would start, you know, prophesying. Or maybe the lights would flicker. Or maybe my hair would catch on fire. I just, I don't know. I just was hoping something would happen. Because I knew then, and I know it today, and I wonder if you feel this, that I just know that I need God in my life. Like I need the Holy Spirit to be in my life. I need help. And I knew that in high school. And I, to be perfectly honest, I feel that today. And I wonder if you feel that. I need, we just need the Holy Spirit in our lives. And um, I reflect on that and I kind of, you know, and if you are here today and you speak in tongues and that's one of the, connection points between you and God. I think that's totally cool. I'm not dogging that at all. Um, and I reflect back on that time, and I, and I'm, I know that even though I kind of was kind of bummed out that nothing magical happened, I know that the Holy Spirit was in my life back then. And I know that the Holy Spirit was doing something in me. He was shaping me. He was convicting me. He was working in my life. And the truth about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is way bigger and way better than we could imagine. That God, the Holy Spirit, is not manipulated. He's not magic. He's not hocus-pocus. He's not this force that we can tap into. He's not a, um, something that we can be conjured up through an incantation. He is God. God, the Holy Spirit, and he is way bigger and way better than we can imagine. And he is active in our lives. He is active in this world. 
In fact, I believe that it's not an accident that we're here today. It's not an accident that we're at church. I, I believe the Holy Spirit is doing stuff in your life and in mine. John Mark McMillan has a song on his new album, and uh, it's titled Holy Ghost. And it's a beautiful tune, and one of the lines in the song says, For all the dues that we collect, our hearts can be overdrawn, because I need a holy ghost. I I love that line, because isn't that true? There's just something about living life that overdraws our hearts. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt like your heart is overdrawn? Have you ever felt like your heart is on empty? And that there's something inside of us that says, God, I need you. I need the Holy Ghost in my life, in my heart. Thanksgiving is a happy time. The holidays are happy times. Yet at the same time, friends and family and people come from out of town and are here and You know, we have big meals, and there's presents, and it's a good time. But at the same time, during the holiday season, I just think that our hearts can be empty. We can feel lonely. We can feel like stuff's not right. Stuff's not right in my marriage. Stuff's not right in my family. There's just an overdrawn heart. This last weekend, Michelle and I went to this um, marriage conference, and we went with some friends, and uh, it was down in Monterey, and we just, we had a great time. It was a great getaway for us and um, I remember on the first night we walked into the room and in the audience you could see that some couples were there and they were happy that they were there and then you could see other couples that were there and just by their body language alone you could just tell that there were some overdrawn hearts in the room and it's just so true I mean there's something about doing life that overdraws our hearts Maybe you're in a season of parenting right now where you're looking at your kids and you're looking at what they're facing. You may be looking at the decisions they're making or you may be looking at the opportunities they're missing out on and there's just something in a parent's heart that just, it just overdraws us. It leaves us on empty. And it leaves us in this space of, you know what, I need a Holy Ghost. I need God to do something in my life. Our hearts get overdrawn, and we're left with this feeling like, I need God to do something. This morning, what I'd like to do is I want to look at a passage of Scripture where I think um, the Apostle Paul gives us a glimpse as to how the Holy Spirit meets us in our pain. He meets us amidst overdrawn hearts. And so if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. And uh, the Apostle Paul is a guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament, and in his letters and in his books, he is constantly coming back to who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does in your life and mine. And uh, Romans chapter 8 is this incredible book of the Bible, or incredible chapter, and in it, Paul begins in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, for anyone that is in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for anyone that comes to Christ. And that when we come to Christ, God then gives us his spirit. And his spirit comes inside of us and it dwells in us. And that spirit actually seals us as sons and daughters of the kingdom. And that spirit, when it's inside of us, it causes us to look forward 
to the day when God comes back and sets this messed up world right again. And this morning I want to pick up in verse 26, and, it, and Paul is unpacking this, this case for what the Spirit does. And in Romans 8, chapter 26, this is what Paul says. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. I love that. Paul says that the Spirit helps you and helps me in our weaknesses. Anyone have any weaknesses? I saw a couple of hands go up. That's awesome. Yeah, we all do, right? I mean, it's not a very fashionable thing to admit. It's not very cool. In fact, we spend a lot of time and a lot of money trying to camouflage weaknesses. We don't want people to see our weaknesses. And um, I have tons of weaknesses, and I could tell you a lot about them. But um, one of my weaknesses in this, my whole life, I've struggled with this. And uh, growing up, I kind of noticed it, and it's gotten maybe a little worse over the years, is I am a terror. I'm not very good with grammar and spelling. Anybody else like that? Like growing up, like I would rather play sports. I mean, the whole idea of a book, if it had pictures, I'm good. Anything else? I mean, I was not a studious child by any stretch of the imagination. And spelling was kind of one of those things where, and it's, I think it's getting worse with the autocorrect and spell check because now I don't even have to spell. Like it just automatically does it. I remember I would, when I would write out a word, if I didn't know how the word ended, I would write the first few letters and then kind of trail off with my pen and hope the reader kind of knew where I was going with that. And so a few months ago, we had a, um, we had like a strategic meeting. We got all the pastors and directors together, and we were talking about our ministry goals and the different strategies for those goals. And it was one of those all-day off-site meetings. And so we were all there, and um, it, I, I was up to go. I was actually the last person to go, so everybody, you can tell, is like tired by that point. And uh, I go up to the board, and we had one of those uh, big flip charts, you know, big flip charts and a Sharpie. And I'm up there, and I'm writing out, you know, here, here are my ministry goals. Here are some of the strategies we hope to, to get to these goals. And I get about halfway through, and then somebody in the back raises his hand and says, Hey, Doug, how do you spell student? And then this cold fear just comes over me. Because A, I'm in public, and it's maybe a spelling issue. And I, and I look around, and I look, and sure enough, at the top of the page, I had written, Stundant Ministries. And it was, everybody just started rolling. I mean, they were laughing. And it was super funny and totally embarrassing. And I actually, I, I, took the, I took the piece of paper, I rolled it up, I keep it in my office. And the reason I hold on to this is because it's just a reminder. It's just a personal reminder for me to stay humble. Because something I've learned about my heart over the years is I am so prone to pride. I am so prone to arrogance. I'm prone to thinking, you know, I, I got it together. I've figured it out. I, I, I'm smart. I'm capable. And what we learn here in the passage is that, that it's not us that fixes ourselves. We are not the answer to our problem. We are not the ones that help us in our weakness. Paul says it's the Spirit that helps us in our weaknesses. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And then he goes on in the back half, half of the verse. He says, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit, 
because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I love that. So not only does the Spirit help us in our weakness, but the Spirit living inside of us teaches us how to pray. I mean, I love this. The Bible, Paul says, because sometimes in the church we think there's people that know how to pray, and there's the rest of us. And Paul says, no one knows how to pray. Like, we do not know how to pray. But we have this advocate, this helper, this spirit who is inside of us that is leading us in prayer to God. I mean, it's a crazy thing to think about that God who dwells in us is praying for us. He's interceding on our behalf. And that word intercede, it actually means in the original language to beg or intensely ask. What a powerful image that God the Spirit inside of us is actually leading us to pray for us. Powerful. Then he goes on in verse 28. He says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is an amazing promise. That Paul says that everything that happens in our life, God is using those circumstances, the situations, the joy, the pain, the disappointment, the missing out on opportunities. He is using those things. The Spirit is using those things for the good. And notice what Paul says in here. He doesn't say that everything that happens to us is good. Rather, he says, God uses what happens to us for the good. One of my heroes is a guy named uh, Ed Dobson. And uh, he's a somewhat famous pastor in America. And he, um, he wrote a book called Seeing Through the Fog, Hope When Your World Falls Apart. And uh, for the past 13 years, he has been living with a disease called ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. And uh, this disease was in the spotlight over the past few months on social media with the whole ice bucket challenge. Did anybody get ice bucketed out there? Okay. And so the whole thing with that fundraiser was to raise awareness and to raise money to fight this terrible illness. And I don't know if you know much about ALS, but basically your body goes on self-destruct. Your muscles deteriorate, and you basically wither away and die. And they don't know what causes it, and there's no cure it is a terrible, terrible illness. And in this book, Ed Dobson unpacks his journey with this terrible disease. And he talks in the book about how he, is, he used to, in the beginning, try, he would try to thank God for ALS. And he, he said every time he would try to pray and thank God for ALS, he would find himself thinking, I'm not thankful for ALS. Like, I'm not thankful for it at all. It's a terrible disorder. And he said that he discovered that God doesn't call us to be thankful for circumstances. He calls us to be thankful in those circumstances. That there are things and people that we can be thankful for amidst terrible circumstances. And that God uses circumstances for good. He doesn't waste our hurt. He uses these things for the good. Which immediately begs the question... What is the good? Because when I hear Paul say, you know, he's using the circumstances of our lives for good, I immediately think, well, then he's using it for my happiness or my comfort 
or that I would have a great retirement plan or that I would have no more debt or that my family would be great and my kids would make great decisions and everything would be hunky-dory and all those things are good. Yet in the next verse, Paul says there's a greater good. There's a greater thing that the Spirit is after in our lives. There's something else that he's doing. And in verse 29, he tells us what that good is. He says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Paul says that the good work that the Spirit is doing in your life, in my life, is he's turning us into people that are like Jesus. That the principal good, the most important thing that the Spirit is doing is he's changing us into the image of Jesus. That that's what God's after in our life. That that's what he's doing in these circumstances. That he's using these circumstances to turn us in to reflections of Jesus. And ultimately, I think that's the promise of Christianity. I don't think the promise of Christianity is that we'll have healthy, happy, comfortable, easygoing, fun all the time lives. I don't think that's the promise at all. Rather, I think the promise of Christianity is that in the end, we will look like Jesus. That one of the principal things the Spirit does is he is constantly molding and shaping and moving us and transforming us into the image of Jesus. So what do you do with that? Like, what do you do with that when you need a job? Or what do you do with that when your kids aren't making the best decisions? Or what do you do with that when stuff's tough at home? I want to give you just a few thoughts this morning, just as we think about the whole idea of the Spirit shaping us into the image of Jesus. The first thing that I think we can do is that we can turn our overdrawn hearts to him. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 29, or verse 28, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, what I think Jesus wants to give us is he wants to give us his spirit. That's that release, that's that rest that he's talking about there. That when we come to him with our overdrawn, empty, hurting hearts, that he will turn around and give us his spirit. He will give us his spirit. The second thing I think we can do is that we can run to him with our weaknesses. I love that Paul says that, that the spirit helps us in our weakness. He intercedes for us with prayers we don't even know how to pray for. Like he knows all about your weaknesses, all about your shortcomings. He knows all about my weaknesses and all my shortcomings. And he's willing and he's ready to meet us there. And we can run to him with the things we struggle with. We can run to him in our weaknesses. And the third thing I think we can do is we can trust his good work in our lives. That we can trust that he is doing stuff we don't know about. That he is using these circumstances, he's using these situations to turn us into men and women who look like Jesus. The Holy Spirit will shape us. 
Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verse 48, he said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And when I hear that, it immediately kind of stresses me out a little bit. Like, so Jesus, you're saying, be perfect? Like, nobody can be perfect. And I wonder if Jesus is saying that when you come to me, in the end, I will make you perfect. In the end, if you come to me, my spirit will transform you into a person who can be perfect. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, he reflected on this. He said, the command, be perfect, is not idealistic gas, nor is it a command to do the impossible. He is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command. He said in the Bible that we were gods, and he is going to make good his word. If we let him, for we can prevent him if we choose. He will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or goddess, a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. This process will be long, and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for, nothing less. He meant what he said. He meant what he said. We can trust that the God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is working in our lives, and we can trust that he is using the situations, the circumstances, the holiday season, the whole package to shape us into men and women who look like Jesus. I mentioned uh, Ed Dobson a little bit earlier. He, um, in addition to writing a book, he also came out with seven different videos. And in these videos, he chronicles his journey with ALS and his crisis of faith and how, he's, how God has shaped him and moved him. And uh, he's nearing the end of his life. It's been 13 years, which is uh, remarkable for somebody with that illness. And um, he just came out with his last video, and it's titled Healing. And in this clip that I'm going to show you in a second, he... Um, I think gives us some insight into what to think about God and what he does in our lives. So let's check that out. What I hear more often than anything is, oh, he's such a miracle. And I remember being in the Holocaust Museum after he'd been diagnosed a few years. I thought his body's beginning to look like some of those people that I saw in the photographs. And that's not my idea of a miracle. Uh, there is no cure, period. He was challenged years ago by a pastor friend here in town who did healing services in his own church. But he told us about people who didn't get healed. And he was wonderful and said, don't become obsessed with healing. Get lost in the wonder of God, and who knows what he'll do for you. 